rather than focusing on a, a single text tonight, for a short while we're going to meditate on a handful of verses from the Psalms, all of which are united by a common theme. Common theme that is God's deep and abiding care for the hurting and the oppressed among his people. So, for our scripture reading, we're going to read through a few verses in the Psalms. We're going to start with Psalm 9, which we read earlier. Psalm 9, verse 9, and this will really be the the main verse that we focus our attention on, but in connection with the others that we also read. Psalm 9, verse 9. The Lord also will be a refuge. For the oppressed, a refuge in times of trouble. Now we turn to Psalm 10, the very next psalm. We read verses 17 and 18. Lord, thou hast heard the desire of the humble. Thou wilt prepare their heart. Thou wilt cause thine ear to hear. To judge the fatherless and the oppressed, that the man of the earth may no more oppress. Now we turn to Psalm 12. Psalm 12, verse 5. For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. I will set him in safety. From him that puffeth at him. Now turning a little further in the Psalms. We turn to Psalm 40. Psalm 40 verse 17. But I am poor and needy. Yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. Make no tarrying, O my God. Next, Psalm 41, verse 1. Psalm 41, verse 1. Blessed is he that considereth the poor. The Lord will deliver him in time of trouble. Now, Psalm 74. Psalm 74, verse 21. O let not the oppressed return ashamed. Let the poor and needy praise thy name. Psalm 103. Verse 6. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. Now finally, near the end of the Psalter, Psalm 146. Psalm 146. Verse 
We'll read verses 5 through 10. Happy is he that hath the God of Jacob for his help, whose hope is in the Lord his God, which made heaven and earth, the sea and all that therein is, which keepeth truth forever, which executeth judgment for the oppressed, which giveth food to the hungry. The Lord looseth the prisoners. The Lord openeth the eyes of the blind. The Lord raiseth them that are bowed down. The Lord loveth the righteous. The Lord preserveth the strangers. He relieveth the fatherless and widow. But the way of the wicked he turneth upside down. The Lord shall reign forever, even thy God, O Zion, unto all generations. Praise ye the Lord. Beloved in the Lord, as we read through those verses all throughout the Psalms, the inspired prayer book of the church, the common theme impressed itself upon us, didn't it? How often is mentioned the poor, the needy, those who are oppressed, the suffering, the vulnerable, the weak. So often they appear in the prayers of the psalmist. and So often they appear in the thoughts of God himself. And that's the central point upon which we want to reflect tonight as God's people that we want to reflect upon tonight in this special service of prayer dedicated to lifting up before the throne of grace suffering sisters and brothers in our midst. In these psalms, we see into the heart of God. We see into the heart of God because God here is pleased to show us something of his heart. And what we see is the expansiveness of God's love and care for the weak, the vulnerable, the poor, and the oppressed. That God has a special care for these members of his church, these members of the body Of Christ. And that's the word of comfort that we want to meditate upon tonight. It's a word of comfort that we want to be applied very directly and very personally to suffering sheep, suffering sheep in our congregation. Whether we know Or don't know about it. Suffering members of our families. Suffering saints that we know. Whose lives have been touched. In a very painful way by the evil of abuse. Here is what God thinks. Here is what God says. Here is how God sees and views his herding sheep. Loves them. They're precious to him. And he promises, as we read in verse 9 of Psalm 9, the Lord 
also shall be a refuge to all who are oppressed. For the suffering, sometimes people don't understand your suffering because they haven't gone through it. There's one who does understand. There's one who does see it. Regardless of whether other people see it and fully understand it. And that's your God. That's your God. Be comforted in that. Hear his word tonight. Let's meditate on this idea of God as the God who cares for the oppressed. We're going to use as our theme the language we find in verse 9 of Psalm 9. The refuge for the oppressed. That's our theme. The refuge for the oppressed. And we're going to look at two ideas here. First, we're going to look at comfort. That's our purpose. The comfort of this truth for suffering sheep, for families affected by abuse, for all of us. Comfort. And then finally, a calling that's implied. Comfort, calling. In these verses of the Psalms, and in Psalm 9, verse 9 in particular, God's Word sets before us a reality that is very painful to acknowledge, and yet it is a reality that God's own Word acknowledges. There is a reality called oppression. And here, God's Word validates the experience and the suffering of those who have gone through oppression. God knows about it. God sees it. And God has something to say about it to you. And His Word is a word of comfort. And a word of love. And a word of care. Oppression. How often that word came up in the psalm verses that we read. So often it came up because sadly so often it happens in our sinful world. Oppression is a sinful, deliberate use of Power, authority, or trust to exploit or to violate another person for one's own ends. That's what Satan did when he caused or instigated the fall of man. Satan, who is the father of the lie, is also the father of oppression. And after the fall of man into sin, there has been so much oppression that is perpetrated by humankind. The powerful lift themselves up over the weaker and they use their power to Exploit those who are weaker than themselves, the vulnerable, or those who have little power of their own. The oppressor is strong, and so often the oppressor uses his strength and uses deceit to take from those weaker than themselves. And that oppression, that oppression that the scriptures speak about, oppression that so often came upon vulnerable people throughout the ages, such as widows, such as orphans, such as the poor. That oppression describes a whole variety of sins, but oppression is the Bible's term to to describe the reality that we know today as abuse. Something that causes such grave harm. People. The Bible speaks about these things. In fact, in Ecclesiastes 4 verse 1, you might have one of the best descriptions of abuse and its effect. 
It's Ecclesiastes 4 verse 1. Solomon surveys the oppression that happens throughout the world and sadly also within communities of faith. And Solomon says, So I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun and behold the tears of such as were oppressed. And they had no comforter. And on the side of their oppressors there was power. But they had no comforter. That word oppression means literally to be crushed, to be broken, to be ground down. And that's what oppression does to a person. That's what abuse does. It crushes the spirit. It does terrible violence to the whole person. Leaving wounds and scars on the body, the heart, the soul, and the mind. Draws forth from the eyes so many tears. Draws forth from the soul so many groans. Can leave a person feeling without comfort, isolated, by themselves. That's oppression. Such an awful, awful reality that's come from the fall. Awful manifestation of sin. So very real. It touches the lives of so very many. And thus, lament. Lament is a proper response, corporate lament even, on account of the reality of oppression that has gone on in the community of faith, even within our own churches. Lament. Lament is an expression of sadness. It's weeping with those who weep, as the Apostle Paul calls us to do in Romans 12 verse 15. To lament is to pour out your heart before the Lord. It is an honest cry of the afflicted soul to God, expressing grief. Such lament is not wrong. It's not murmuring or complaining against God. After all, the Bible is full of laments. We've sung some of them in the Psalter numbers tonight. The Bible has a book called Lamentations. This shows us the reality that in the face of what seems to be unconscionable and overwhelming evil, often a proper response of God's people is to come together and lament. Bring their sorrow, their suffering, their confusion before God. And that lament is an act of faith. It is prayer, reaching out to God, crying out to God, laying our cares and our pains and our cries before Him and seeking from Him true help and comfort. That's an expression of faith. That our help is indeed in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth and He is the one and only one who can help us. Indeed, to lament is one of the privileges that we have as Christians, as God's children. The world can't lament, they can only despair. But we have a Father, we have a God in heaven, whose ears are ever open to the cries of His people, whose heart, as it has been shown to us on the pages of the Psalms, whose heart beats with divine love for His people in a special way. The precious suffering sheep among his people. So we lament tonight. We express our sorrow. We express our grief. We express our confusion together. And we lay that before the Lord. In trust. That God in his mercy will care for us. And provide for us. And lead us and guide us. In the way that is good. In the way that is right. But now. Seeing oppression, 
Acknowledging the awful reality of oppression and lamenting oppression. That's not where we stop. And that's not even the main thing that our meditation tonight is going to focus on. The main thing we focus on now is the comfort that comes to God's people who need comfort. And especially to suffering sheep who need that comfort. God's word to the oppressed. God's word to the suffering is this. I am your refuge. I am there for you, always, unfailingly, never leaving or forsaking you, never giving you over into the pit, into the depths of the miry clay, never abandoning you. I am your refuge. The refuge for all is people who are oppressed. In that expression of God, in that word of God, and Psalm 9 verse 9, we see how much oppression bothers God. No, bothers is too mild a word. How absolutely offensive oppression is in the eyes of God. Oppression kindles the holy wrath of God. God is a God who is love. Oppression is the extreme opposite of love. Thus, as we read earlier in Psalm 12, verse 5, For the oppression of the poor, for the sighing of the needy, now will I arise, saith the Lord. Oppressed saints, suffering sheep, be encouraged. That's what God says. He doesn't ignore oppression. He doesn't minimize oppression. He arises. He arises to the aid Of the oppressed when he hears the sigh of the needy. And he says. I will be your refuge. We're familiar with that figure aren't we? It's a beautiful figure. Such a beautiful figure. A refuge. A refuge is a place you run to for safety. A refuge is a place that you go to. To escape danger. A refuge is a place like a castle, a high tower, a tall rock that you run to to escape a pursuing foe who means to do you harm. A refuge is a place of safety, a place of security, a place where you can have peace, a place where you know the enemy can't reach me, his sword can't harm me. Even though the enemy is stronger. Even though the enemy is fiercer. Even though I'm powerless before that oppressor. God is my refuge. He's the refuge for all of his people. In all of their troubles. The second half of verse 9. Psalm 9 verse 9 makes that point. He's a refuge in times of trouble. And that general statement is universally applicable. Beloved, whatever struggle you're going through, whatever hardship, whatever pain, whatever you're suffering, God is your refuge in times of trouble. But notice here, God is making a special point to the oppressed. He singles out the oppressed and emphasizes to them, I am your refuge. And that again shows us the special place in God's heart. 
that the oppressed among his people have, that the poor, that the vulnerable, that the weak have. It belongs to who God is in himself. That he protects, that he saves, that he cherishes his people who are oppressed, his people who are hurting. He arises to your aid, he takes your side, he comes to you and makes himself your fortress. And that's, that's the comfort for the oppressed. That's the comfort for hurting sheep. That's the comfort for hurting families. Hurting churches. Comfort's not found in man. It's not found in the wisdom of man. It's not found in anything of man. It's found in God. And who God is. And who God shall forever be. So we let our minds go back to that powerful expression in Isaiah 40 that we heard a week or so ago. Behold your God. That's what we need to behold in our sufferings and in our times of affliction. Behold your God. Your fortress. Your refuge. I want to make a few applications here. These applications are intended to speak directly to those who have been hurt by abuse or those who have family members who have been hurt. God is your refuge. Think about all that that means. Protection. You have protection. Safety under His sheltering wings which overshadow you. This God who says, I am your refuge, in saying that, He expresses to you, personally, His compassion. He thinks upon you. His thoughts dwell upon you. That's what we read in Psalm 40, verse 17. There the psalmist says, but I am poor and needy, yet the Lord thinketh upon me. Thou art my help and my deliverer. When the Lord thinks upon one of his children, his thinking is a thinking of love. It is a dwelling upon his child that seeks to do what is best for that child. God thinks upon you. Suffering sheep. Now think of Jesus, your high priest, who is at God's right hand. Jesus, your Savior, who is touched with the feeling of your infirmities. Yes, He's touched even with the feeling of this suffering, this most painful of sufferings, the suffering that comes from abuse. He's touched with the feeling of that suffering too. In fact, the Lord Himself came into this world and He suffered abuse at the hands of men as well. Wicked men, scribes, Pharisees, Pontius Pilate. He suffered, most of all, under the wrath of God to deliver us from our sins and earn for us everlasting life and give us all blessedness. But also this, part of his suffering was so that he could identify with us. He has become like unto his brethren, like unto his sisters in all things except sin. He can identify with you. He 
is truly and perfectly and fully compassionate. And when you cry to Him, He knows, really knows and understands. Jesus, your high priest, he's your intercessor, he's your advocate at the right hand of the Father. That means he's the best of listeners. He hears your cries, your laments, your petitions, and he liveth ever to make intercession for you, to bring those cries, those laments, those petitions before the throne of grace. He is your great advocate, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He's your refuge, your comforter, your friend. Who's trustworthy and faithful. Unfailingly so. He's a trustworthy refuge. He's not a refuge who's going to crumble away around you. He's not a refuge that's going to forsake you. Perhaps you've been forsaken by men. Perhaps you've been betrayed by other people. Not Jesus. Not your God. He will never, ever leave you or forsake you. Notice the name that is used in Psalm 9 verse 9. The Lord Jehovah also will be a refuge for the oppressed. There's the stability. There's the soundness. There's the firmness. There's the everlastingness of your refuge. Jehovah the unchanging I am that I am the faithful covenant God who has a heart for his people. And whose eyes on his people are eyes of love. This too, suffering sheep, those who have been oppressed, hear this word. You have worth. You have worth in the eyes of Jesus. You have a special place in the heart of God. And you have worth in the eyes of God. He set his love upon you. He gave his son to die for you. To have you as his daughter or as his son. You have worth which no person, no sinful act perpetrated by man can ever take away. Worth in Jesus Christ. And all of the words of the oppressor. All of the words of the devil and all of the words of those who have borne the image of the devil. They're lies. All of those words that would deny your worth. Lies. Look to Christ. See who you are in Him. Looking to Christ, that Savior, you can rest assured now of the justice of God. The justice of God. God is a just God. And God is the God who is a refuge to the oppressed. And so that means God is a God who does justice for the oppressed. Did we not read that in Psalm 103 verse 6? The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment for all that are oppressed. There's a couple of important applications here. One. Often those who have been oppressed feel guilt, feel shame for the oppression that was inflicted upon them. But God is just. And because He's just, 
He doesn't want you to carry guilt that is not yours. Or bear shame that is not yours to bear. The guilt and the shame belongs to the oppressor. Not to the oppressed. And God is just. And the word of the just God comes to those tonight who have suffered oppression. And the word of God is, I am your refuge. I am a just God. I don't see you as guilty. For something that was not your sin. You need not be ashamed. Psalm 74 verse 21 said this. Oh let not the oppressed return ashamed. Let the poor and needy praise thy name. God takes that shame. It's not yours to bear. Let the needy praise the name. Of the Savior. That's the comfort. That's the comfort. For the oppressed. For wounded sheep. For hurting families. For all of us. As a congregation. As a a family of faith tonight. Our God is a refuge. For the oppressed. But now. Flowing out of that beautiful. Comforting truth. There is an implied calling. And this implied calling is intended to be positive. It's intended to encourage us as a family of faith to rally together and be that family and to care for any suffering members there may be in our midst. There's a calling implied in Psalm 9 verse 9. God is the refuge of the oppressed. That's who God is. We've seen that's the heart of God. God has a heart for the oppressed. And that means we as God's people are to be like our God. We are to look like our God, act like our God, reflect our God. And that's why just as often as the Bible speaks about God's special care for the oppressed, the Bible also speaks about the church's calling to care and to help and to relieve the oppressed. That too is a thread that you will find woven throughout the pages of the scriptures. Maybe you think of a very explicit calling. Right at the beginning of the prophecy of Isaiah. Where God addresses the people of Judah. And he says to them, learn to do well. Seek judgment. Relieve the oppressed. Judge the fatherless. Plead for the widow. Perhaps James had that passage in mind. When under the inspiration of the Spirit, he said, pure religion and undefiled before God the Father is this, to visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction. Our calling as God's people is to reflect the heart of God to each other. We're his image bearers. And part of being an image bearer of God is reflecting the beauty and the glory of God. And the glory of God is the shining forth of all of his attributes. We are to reflect that beauty and glory of God to one another. And one of the ways that we do that is reflecting his love and his grace and his mercy to the oppressed, to the hurting the struggling in the community of faith. Just as Jehovah God has a special care for them, so ought His people. 
So how? How? How do we carry out this calling? So much can be said and we can't possibly say it all. We can't possibly say everything. But a few things can be said. How can we as fellow believers rally together as a spiritual family to help our hurting members? How can we positively relieve the oppressed? Well, first big step is recognizing we're not called to be the great physician. We can't be the great physician. We're mere men and women. Often we might not have the answers. We might not have the, the perfect words to speak to a suffering sister or a suffering brother. And we're not called to be Christ. We can't be Christ. Christ alone is the great physician. Christ alone is the good shepherd of the sheep. Christ alone brings healing. We're called to reflect Him. And to be His hands and feet in whatever way we can. A concrete example. I'll give one concrete example. Look at Job's friends. Job's friends. And that might surprise you. Because... What? Job's friends? Aren't they miserable comforters? And yes, they would show themselves to be that. And we can learn from their negative example. But there's something that is often overlooked. And what's often overlooked is that Job's friends actually started off well when they went to comfort Job in his great sufferings. They actually started off well. The problems came when they opened their mouths and tried to speak to things they they really didn't understand. And tried to diagnose something they didn't know much about. Or tried to find a hidden sin somewhere in Job's life and say, that's the reason for all of your sufferings. That's where Job's friends got into trouble and ended up adding to the suffering of Job. But that's not the first thing they did. And there's a positive example to be seen in what Job's friends first did. Let's look at that a second. Job chapter 2, verses 11 through 13. Job chapter 2, 11 through 13. Now when Job's three friends heard of all this evil that was come upon him, they came every one from his own place, Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Naamathite. For they had made an appointment together to come to mourn with him and comfort him. And when they lifted up their eyes afar off and knew him not, they lifted up their voice and wept, And they rent every one his mantle and sprinkled dust upon their heads toward heaven. So they sat down with him upon the ground seven days and seven nights. And none spake a word unto him. For they saw that his grief was very great. Here's the striking part. Job's three friends hear about his great sufferings and they cared for him. They did. And so they made an appointment to go together and see him in order to mourn with him and to comfort him. They didn't avoid him. And and that's a temptation to be 
to beware of. Sometimes when a brother or a sister is in deep, deep affliction in the church, we, we don't know how to, how to handle it, how to address it. And so our, our knee-jerk reaction can be to avoid. But that's, that's not what we want to do. Job's friends made an appointment to go together to mourn and to comfort their friend. And isn't that instructive? In fact, that's kind of the purpose of this service tonight. To mourn with and to comfort our friends. We might not have the answers. We don't have the magic fix to their deep sufferings. But we can do what Job's friends did here. They came. When they saw him afar off, and they saw him in his grief, and they could barely recognize him, they lifted up their voices and they shed tears for him. They shed tears with him. And they got there and they sat down with him. And when they saw how great his suffering was, and that no human words would ever be able to adequately capture it, they just sat there. Seven days, seven nights, they sat there in silence with him. A compassionate presence. Conveying wordlessly their love for Job. Now, we don't necessarily have to apply that literally. But I think we understand the point, do we not? That's how we as a spiritual family can come together and comfort one another when we are afflicted. Comfort that member of the congregation or that friend who is going through a very, very hard time. It's a way we can be there for hurting sheep who have suffered from abuse. Grieve with them. Sit down. Listen to them. Just hear. Just listen. Without judging. Let them speak. Let them lament. That's where Job's friends got into trouble. If you read on into to Job 3... Job 3 breaks the silence and he utters this lament before God. And it seems that Job's friends thought that his lament was a little over the top. And that's when they begin analyzing Job and trying to dig up some sin that's the cause of his trouble. And it went downhill from, that, from there until in chapter 16 verse 2, Job in frustration and grief calls his three friends, his three friends who really did love him, calls them miserable comforters. Sometimes just listening can be so helpful to a suffering brother or sister. That's not to say that there's no place for speaking. But when we speak, bring the comforting word of the gospel, point to Christ. Christ is the healer. In Christ is wholeness. In Christ is the help a suffering sister or brother needs. That compassionate presence. That's what we want to have and cultivate in the body of Christ. A compassionate presence of believers with one another. So that in the family of faith. We all know. These brothers and sisters. They're in it with me. Even if. They don't understand and can't understand the fullness or the depths of what I'm going through. They're in it with me for the long haul. 
They'll be there to encourage and support me and walk with me on that path of healing. That's what we strive to be for one another by the grace of God. And that's what we can be. That's what we are by the grace of God through the work of the Spirit of Christ. So, beloved, as we've heard the comforting word, God is the refuge of the oppressed. Let us rejoice in that truth. Let us bring that truth to suffering friends that we might know who could benefit from hearing from it. But let us also internalize that truth and see the beautiful calling that it gives us. What a wonderful thing it is to be a part of the body of Christ. Where when one member suffers, all suffer with it. And when one member weeps, all weep. And when one member rejoices, all rejoice. And when one member flourishes, all flourish. That's the church of Christ. And even when there's trouble, even when there's sin, even when there's great hurt in the church, it's Christ's church yet. And Christ does that work in His church. And Christ's grace works in the communion of the saints to bring comfort to all His people. Let us leave this prayer service tonight with that comfort in our hearts. That desire to to walk in step with our God and with our Lord Jesus Christ. Who is the refuge for the oppressed. Amen. Faithful God and Heavenly Father. Bless our prayer service tonight. Use it to bless the suffering. Use it to build up our congregation. Use it to encourage us all. For so many of us have trials and hardships. So many of our families in one way or another are touched by the evil of abuse. Father, draw us together. Give us unity in the spirit of Jesus Christ. Unity in love. And may this place be a place where the refuge of thee our God is known and experienced. We ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.